This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, my cat-loving friends. This is Linda Hall, co-host of 19 Cats and Counting. Today's guest is most recognized by who he's married to, but he's quite accomplished on his own. He's a retired management consultant. He helped businesses with planning, finance, and operations, and has had quite an impressive career. He even co-founded a business and managed it while managing two others. In 2002, he was at an animal advocacy event, points for him, where he met a lovely lady that they married in 2004. That lady would be Carol Baskin. So we have Howard Baskin here today. We want to talk about everything they went through to pass this act. We want to talk about those big old kitties and a million other questions. So we will be right back after this word from our sponsor. Rita. I heard Kitty Poo Club is sponsoring our show. What is it? Well, they have high quality recyclable litter boxes that last for an entire month for one cat. And there's no mess and no odor either. No mess, no odor, no box cleaning. How do I get it? <laughs> it's easy. Just choose the litter box you want and the number of boxes. And if you choose auto ship, You'll never have to worry about buying litter and hauling it around again. I can't tell you how much I hate hauling those teddy bags. Me too. No hauling litter box. Different types of litter. Different size boxes. This would be great for my parents. But wait a minute. How expensive is the shipping? Well, the shipping's free. And if you use code 19CATS at checkout, they'll ship your first order for 25% off. Isn't that awesome? Oh my gosh. Honey, I'm sorry, but I I can't keep chatting. I I gotta go place an order. Wait, what was the code again? It was 19CATS. That's 19CATS. Thank you. Gotta go. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Bye. Go to kittypooclub.com and use promo code 19CATS for 25% off your first order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to 19 Cats and Counting. I am your co-host, Linda Hall, here with my ever-lovely, beautiful blonde BFF, Rita Reimers. I know this doesn't happen to you, but I'm speechless. I really am so excited to talk with Howard. I know. I know. So let's just get right to it. I am too. Yes. Howard, thank you so much for coming on and being with us today. My pleasure. Really appreciate it. It's our honor. Do you have any guess when you met that lovely lady at an animal advocacy event in 2004 that all of this would happen? No. In fact, uh, a few years later, one, uh, as I got, you know, a few years under my belt at the sanctuary, one of my friends said, you know, you've been involved in a bunch of different things, but nothing this different. This was different. I don't think anybody's done in anything that different, or the really least is small. I changed your career. I mean, I've owned two businesses now, so I know how hard it can be. But to be juggling multiple businesses at once and then take this total turn, wow, that's a lot. Yes. So tell us about the Big Cat Sanctuary and its purpose first. Well, the, the Big Cat Rescue is a sanctuary for exclusively exotic big cats. And, and that ranges from little bobcats and servals. Some of the smaller cats that people have never heard of, like caracals, up to the 
tigers. I mean, we have had lions in the past, not right now. And uh, some of the hybrids, which is a whole nother uh, evil industry. And, you know, we give them, we make a commitment to lifetime care for the animals. We have 41 of them now. And the, the species that we currently have are tigers, a jaguar, bobcats, caracals, uh, servals, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of places that have sanctuary in the name or call themselves sanctuary that we refer to as pseudo sanctuaries. They're really not. And, and the easy way to tell, in my opinion, is if they do not do any of what I call the five sins, then they qualify as a sanctuary. And those What are those sins? sins? Funny you should ask. Um, <laughs> basically, that's buy animals, sell animals. Uh, breed animals, take the animals off-site to uh, exhibit them, which is always stressful, or let people touch them in the case of exotic animals. And if they don't do those things and give good animal care, then they are they qualify, in my view, as a sanctuary. And for, for viewers who are, you know, we often get a question about this place or that place, the best resource is the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, or GFAS, G-F-A-S, and if, you know, if they're accredited by GFAS, that's basically the gold standard for sanctuaries in terms of the, the requirements, and there are inspections, you know, serious inspections, so that's basically what we do, but we go way beyond that. We've always framed our mission in three parts. One is to take care of the cats, the best care we can give them. One is the advocacy part, the trying to stop the abuse, which is where the federal bill is playing a huge role. And then the third is to try to stop the extinction in the wild. And we sort of, you might, it's a little bit like tithing. We, we take about $100,000 of our revenue each year and fund projects in the wild. Many of them, for instance, trying to deal with the human predator conflict. So if you're in an area where the cat predators would take the livestock, chickens or goats, then, you know, the tendency, if you know, these people depend on these animals for their living. So the tendency is to do a revenge killing if their animals are killed. So funding, building bomas that protect them or, or what are called predator-proof chicken coops, things like that are some of the things we do in that arena. Awesome. That is amazing. So what is the harm in me going up and petting a light, other than the fact that he'd eat me. But if I were in a safe <laughs> position, well, what is the, the babies, harm in which us petting for a while? Big, yes, yes, yeah. Well, what's, the, what's wrong with that? The big issue has been the cub petting, where, you know, here's this adorable cub. It, it's, it's very appealing. And, you know, people just don't know what goes on behind the scenes. So, you know, it's, it's just a matter of, of just not being aware. So don't blame people who do that. You can see the appeal. Before I got involved in this, I wouldn't have known any better. But what happens at these places, they can only use the cubs for a few months. So these places like Doc Antle or what Joe Exotic and Jeff Lowe used to have, will have you know 50 to 100 tigers, adult tigers, in what they call breeding pairs in small enclosures. And they with the females, what they do is called speed breeding where they will try to get them pregnant as soon as possible after birth. Well, this is not natural. In, in the wild, these animals would breed every couple of years. They would breed and raise their cubs, teach them to hunt. They would then go off and get their own territories, and then they would breed again. 
And this speed breeding, aside from just a miserable life for these animals, is also believed to cause mammary cancer. We had two of our female tigers who were used this way die from mammary cancer. And the cubs themselves, I mean, imagine in any mammal species, the cub being taken away from its mother. This is a torment to the mother and the cub right there. But they do that so that the cub will bond to people and be what they refer to as more manageable. The mother's, the, the, the bottled milk, the formula, does not have the kind of antibodies that protect them from disease that the mother's milk has. There's no tracking of how many of them die along the way. And then they are often deprived of food to make them hungry for the bottle. And you'll see these places where they were holding them with the bottle to keep them distracted because, you know, think about your domestic kittens. When they're awake, do they just want to sit there for petting? No, no, they want to romp and play. And, you know, we see behavior issues from our domestic cats that were taken from their mom too young. We got a lot of behavior calls about that. Well, the the tiger cubs are are no different. And so what they want to do is is run around, use their claws and their teeth, and they're physically punished to try to diminish those behaviors. I mean, literally beaten. And then three, four months later, when they're too big for this, there's no tracking of what happens to them. Many of them end up in somebody's backyard. They get this cub. Or worse. It's manageable for a few months. And then it's not. And it ends up, I mean, the conditions, when we've done these rescues at private homes, the conditions these animals live in are just awful. So, you know, when when you go pay to do cub petting, you're supporting that industry. You're creating a market. If there's no market, it stops. Look what happened to Ringling. As people became more and more aware that that's not what I want my children to learn about how animals should be treated, the attendance dropped and they ended up closing. Well, in our case, now the cub petting, at least with the larger cats, is stopped by our federal bill. And it's been very effective. We've been monitoring. Even when I was a kid, I never liked the idea of going to the circus. And I've never been to one because I know those animals weren't treated well. I hate to admit it, but I went. I loved it. It never clicked with me. I zoomed. Well, you didn't know. You were a kid, right? Yeah, I didn't know. But yeah, I did, you know, I would have probably even 10, 15 years ago, petted a cub if somebody had offered it to me. I I see those animals and I would love nothing more than to just get in there and play with. I know better now, but if any good came from Joe Exotic, it was that we've all been educated. For sure. Yes. Yeah. I suppose when you blow something up like that, at least tells people, but tell us about what you had to go through to get, I mean, that's a pretty large list. Y'all went through what death threats and hitmen and but and trips back and forth to Washington and filing this, which becomes this, which becomes this. What all was involved in getting the the Big Cat Safety Act passed? Well, you just asked for our life story. Exactly. Was not one question. I just don't think that people listening realize what a huge mountain that is. You climbed and what all you went. They have several mountains. Well, look, the battle with Joe Exotic started in the first really 10 years that I, or at least eight years that I was here. My job was not the advocacy. I was trying to get the sanctuary into a financial position where we could do advocacy. And it wasn't until, and so Carol, to the extent she could, would would go after these people. And she realized at one point that all these various places that were going around to these malls doing cup heading, and had different names. One day she looked, she said, wait a minute, 
that's the same equipment or the same person that I saw over here under a different name. And Joe had all these different names to hide his bad history. And as she continued after him, he decided the way to get us back was he would rename his traveling show Big Cat Rescue Entertainment. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we use a, a slightly modified version of our logo. So, you know, that's when I got involved and we started very seriously going after him. And we started getting these malls to cancel one by one or say they won't have him back. And so that's what led to all that. And then Joe made two mistakes that nobody reports about. Nobody in the media has said anything about this. And Joe never takes the blame for anything. Oh, of course, of course not. not. Of course not. When we sued him, once he started using our name and we started getting calls saying, hey, I I'm here in Texas. I thought you guys didn't do this kind of thing. So it was working. You know, he was and he stupidly went online and, and admitted that he took out the name to damage our reputation. So there was no point. If normally you would send a cease and desist letter first. There was obviously no point with Joe in doing that. But when we filed the federal suit, I thought he would be smart enough to say, wait a minute, you know what? I don't want the expense of a federal lawsuit, but not Joe. And he filed these counterclaims that were ridiculous. And so that was his first mistake. His other mistake that nobody talks about was I went out there in 2015. The federal court process has a mandatory mediation. And we went through, and I, I won't take you through all the details, but we went through 12 hours of mediation where I was willing to work with him. And we reached an agreement that he would stop doing the cup petting, but continue to run his zoo. And we, we shook hands. The attorneys, you know, write out a term sheet with the terms. Everybody signs off on it. And then when Jeff Lowe came along that week and said, no, don't do that. I'll pay for the attorneys, which he never did. Joe backed out of the deal. If he had done that deal, he'd still be running a zoo. Sure. Or, or years before, if he just stopped using our name, he'd still. So people don't understand that. So fast forward to I may get the years mixed up now. They kind of blend together, but I think November 2018, and I'm sitting at my desk and imagine the phone rings. I pick it up and I knew this person a little bit from the Fish and Wildlife Service, Matt Bryant, because I had once or twice had an email with him about something, reporting something or asking a question. So the voice says, this is Matt Bryant with the Fish and Wildlife Service, and I'm here with so-and-so from the FBI. And my first reaction was, what did I do? You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's not every day the FBI comes yeah, knocking at your door. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay. Well, you know, there's been hitmen. We've had helicopters flying over. I don't think this is out of the normal view for you all's life at this point, is it? Sadly. Well, but this was the start of the hitman because okay. Okay. what they said to me was, look, we don't want to alarm you, but we want you to be aware that Joe is actively trying to hire someone to kill Carol, and we want you to be on the alert. We'd like you to talk to an FBI person there for some advice. So uh, we had some years before gone to get our concealed weapons license, which you need to carry in, in Florida. And so, you know, we started carrying guns in the car. And you know how when you watch oh, the movies cool. and someone's driving and they're looking to see if they're being followed? Well, when we were driving, we'd be looking at you know, who's around us. If we pulled into oh a parking goodness. spot, we'd be looking around the parking spot. Because Carol was already fairly well-known well locally, and we would be wearing our logo, 
it was not unusual for her if she was going into the supermarket or getting gas for someone to come up and say, oh, I love your place. I've been there. My kids have been there. Well, you know, she'd be pumping gas, see somebody approaching and now be wondering, do I have to take the gas and douse this person? Oh, my God. This could be the hitman. So we went through that for like nine months until they finally arrested him. So that's that part of the story. What did he think he was going to buy? What did he think he was going to get? I mean, obviously, if he'd done that, he'd be in jail like he is. He wasn't going to get anything out of it. He's well, no, crazy. Well, think, of, think about in his mind, people like that don't think they're going to get caught. That's exactly. true. Yeah. So he thought that would end the lawsuit. I cannot imagine living nine months like that. I wouldn't leave the house. I'm going to give you both props for the fact that she even went to the gas station because I don't think I'd leave my house. I think I, I would be either. crippled with fear for nine months. And the fear you must have had. Did you let her out of your sight? Was she allowed to venture off alone? Because <laughs> I'd have been like, no, you ain't leaving without me. Trying to uh, control or even influence Carol is a little like herding cats. So <laughs> understand. my husband would say the same about me. I'm just kind of hanging my head here. I got you. The one thing she did, which I gave me some comfort was for a period of time, she stopped riding her bicycle to it. Oh, yeah. There was this whole evidence of, and she's very exposed. That she rides through a wooded area on a trail. Well, so how horrible that you have to change your lifestyle because somebody else is an idiot. So that's kind of that story. And, and then when Jeff Lowe took over, we continued the lawsuits against him. And, and eventually, we were able to throw him off the property. And that's what got the animals away from him because he had to move them to a place. Jeff Lowe always would talk about these grandiose plans. And he's like this brilliant businessman. And he had set up this place and bought these little prefab wire boxes to put the tigers in. Oh, my goodness. So, so he was not ever going to be ready to move there. But he certainly wasn't ready when, when we got the court to evict him. And so moving them there, the conditions were so bad that the USDA and the Department of Justice went after him. And they ended up taking all the animals. So that was a very good ending to that. Is that when you started working on the Big Cats Safety Act during all of this? Uh, well, we started, Carol had worked on federal legislation back in the late 90s and helped get a bill called the Captive Wildlife Safety Act passed in 2003. And it had some effect, but it was limited and had big loopholes. And it, it didn't stop the cup petting and it didn't stop these people having them in their backyards. So in 2011, we ended up going to D.C., and meeting with the much larger, what are called NGOs, you know, uh, basically nonprofits, non-governmental organizations that do federal legislation. And that would be HSUS, Born Free, IFAW, initials that are probably familiar to much of the ALDF, people like that. And it was a wonderful meeting where we all agreed to work on this, quote, big cat problem together. And we had a three-pronged strategy. One was a petition to USDA about the cub petting, which they're still sitting on a decade or so later. The other one, which was very successful, was uh, changing what was called the generic tiger rule, where that's, that was established by the Fish and Wildlife Service in 1998. And basically at that time, they said, these mutt tigers, these ones that are of mixed subspecies, don't have to go through the normal process uh, that an endangered species has to go through in order to sell them. Well, that's what allowed Joe and Doc Annell and these people 
to just swap these animals back and forth. And that change, which we got changed in 2016, that's part of why Joe's in jail. Because oh. what he had previously done that was not illegal became illegal. And he was still doing it. So a number of the counts that he was convicted of are related to that. And then the three-prong strategy. The third prong was the federal bill. So this iteration of the federal bill, there were a couple between 2003 and this, but this iteration started then, and then we introduced it first in March of 2012. And, and it's the normal process. Very few bills pass the first time. Now, Congress is in two-year sessions, and the session ends in the even year. It was introduced way at the end of that first session, mostly to, to get it going. Just to start it. And then the process, first, you, you need to find sponsors to introduce the bill. And ideally, you want a Republican and a Democrat, so it's bipartisan. You try to get what are called initial co-sponsors who sign up in advance and are put in there right away at the beginning. And then you spend your time running around to all these offices trying to get them to sign onto the bill, which is called co-sponsoring. And it basically means if it comes to the floor, they say they're going to vote for it. And you, when you get, like in the House where there's 435 members, you know, when you get over 200 co-sponsors, you start to have credibility. So each session, we built more and more co-sponsors. And then along the way, we uh, started to hire lobbyists. And so in 2012, the Republican convention was here. And through another one of those, you know, there are no coincidences. The fellow who was the director of external relations, the head PR guy, asked the manager of one of the business clubs, what should I do with my children while I'm here? And I knew Tim. And he said, oh, you got to take them to Big Cat Rescue. And so I gave this fellow a tour and he was, you know, you could really, you can tell when people are engaged. And this is a guy who used to represent the NRA. Okay. And as we were going around and I'm telling him the stories of the cats, he's shaking his head saying, this should not be. So I said, you know, may I keep in touch with you? And in 2014, when I thought we might have enough money, I didn't know to, to hire him. We worked out a deal and he cut his rate substantially for us. And so he started lobbying for us, particularly on the Republican side. You know, you don't get to be the director of external relations for the Republican convention without knowing people. So yeah, yeah you found someone in a really good position. And all of this is just years in the making and all of these steps and so much time in Washington. When you're talking about being at these offices, these aren't in Florida, right? These are offices. It's in sad Washington that people travel. can't tour anymore because if they could, they would learn so much probably from the person well, giving the need- tour. Thank you both. This was fun. Thank you, Howard. We really appreciate you. Uh, We're honored to have you on our show, Howard. Send our best to Carol. Of course, I always have to thank my lovely co-host, Linda Hall, who adds the sparkle. And I'd be remiss if I didn't thank Mark Winter, who gave us this awesome spot on Pet Life Radio. Thank you so much for being our wonderful producer. Now, don't forget, everyone, every day is Catter Day. And we'll see you next time. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.